0: And welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Oh. Julie, what's up?
1: So I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble concentrating at work because on Friday, we started the migration, so we've gotten acquired and we oh, nice. were switching from Google Workspaces to Microsoft everything. And unfortunately, not all of my calendars got migrated properly and the ones that didn't get migrated over all my pairing sessions and i have a lot of pairing sessions so
0: do you keep like multiple calendars or you just use one for work i know people who do like calendars and i know people like me i've seen people on like calendars like their whole day is locked out and i do that sort of in my brain but they've got different like colored calendars and they're like okay this is all my pairings in blue and all like the work meetings are in purple Do you do all of that or is it like your calendar system, like super organized or is it just a calendar system like normal?
1: Let's just say I try to be organized. So I do use only one calendar for work and for my pairing sessions, I try to have it a specific color, but I'm finding that I have to change each one. So I change each one to green, for example. And so I can see, okay, all my green stuff is one-on-ones, but then... When something changes or when there's a new one, I have to remember to also change that one to green. And I don't always do that. And I right. don't even look at my calendar color coded anyways. So I'm just, do I even need to keep doing this?
0: Right. Colors are important to me for because I'm just a visual person to the point yeah. of where like colors haunt me, but there's an extension on VS Code called better comments. And when like, you use like a prefix, it will like color code the comment. So like, you put an exclamation point in it, then in the visual view, it will be red. I like stuff like that. It helps me. I like color.
1: This is an extension.
0: Yeah. I will put a link to it in the show notes.
1: I need something like that because I'll write regular comments and then I don't look at them because even though I like make capitalized to do, I can't find it very
0: easily. Yeah. And this will color code. It has some stuff built in like to do and like question mark and exclamation point and a few others and like at param, for instance, but you can add your own. So I've got like a few custom ones that just help me like I don't necessarily always keep them. But sometimes when I'm debugging or figuring out a feature, I will use this to be like, okay, especially when I'm deleting code, when I'm refactoring code, I will like color coordinate comments on top of methods to be like this method no longer be used. And like this method needs to be like refactored. I'll do that in blue and I'll do like the red ones in red. And that way, when I scan through, I can easily see how the file is going to change once I like apply my refactor.
1: So if I had the same extension and I was in the same repo as you, could I see the same colors if my yes. file was the same configured, if it was configured the same? Yep. Nice.
0: Yep. 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 It's pretty neat. I put a link so, to it in the show notes, so.
1: Okay. You actually do that with other teammates? Yes. Your teammates also Look like the same thing.
0: And so yeah, I have an like internal. So not really in that way. Comments are, I don't want to get into comments, but there are some developers who believe comments are helpful. And there's some developers who believe, why should I add comments? Which one are you? I am solidly in the middle. Like to me. You have three. Well, I'm in the middle of comments are helpful there, but there are a lot of problems with comments. So comments should not be something that are just slapped around the code base. To me, if you're having to add comments, then either the code is not readable enough or it's not explanatory enough. To me, a lot of times you have to add comments because there's something wrong with the architecture of your code. You have to warn people, basically. Like To me, a comment is almost like a warning. Today, I added a comment. And that was because... I had some has many associations with dependent destroy on them, but then I had a callback before destroy callback. that So every time this record is destroyed, there's mm-hmm. this callback gets called and it had to do something on one of the related records. But if the dependent destroy relationships came before the callback, like literally on the line numbers, the code wouldn't work. So I had to put the callback name above the relationships. And because of that, I added a comment mm-hmm. because That is not something that I would expect anyone to understand and changing it would break it. And it's not necessarily about the architecture of the code. It's more about this specific line is important and it's not necessarily going to change unless it's just removed. So I do on my own projects, I like adding like yard docs to like talk about like the return types of methods and things like that really helps me. But on a team I think a lot of people add comments to kind of compensate maybe for documentation or to try to explain something. And I add comments as like key or as like an indicator, which is why I like this extension because it helps me see them more. Because when I see a comment, either want it to be a warning about something that I'm not going to understand just by looking at the code, or I want it in a specific format or something. I think a lot of people add comments unnecessarily. I think a lot of times you can achieve the same effect by maybe adding better method names, more explanatory variable names, right don't use x. use like last comment, for instance, like just being more descriptive and more expressive in the code. I think a lot of times can alleviate the need for comments
1: and very much if there's too many comments on the page, I'm going to ignore them all. And that could mm-hmm. be very bad if, for example, you're using it as a explaining why something needs to be there and then say, I didn't think of that or didn't see it and I remove it or I move it and then it can cause problems. I right. am in the same boat as you where I will write a comment because Rails is so opinionated. We do everything the Rails way or whatever, but there may be some instances where I cannot or maybe it is right. it is like the infrastructure and I have to write, okay, well, this is the reason why I'm doing it this way. And-
0: right. Yeah. I, well, I, which I, That falls under my warning category, right? You're warning people that you had to do something that they wouldn't expect. But just like documentation, which you just hinted at, the other problem with comments is that they lose their meaning and importance and context over time. So that's why I don't like adding about what the code is supposed to do. Maybe I see a lot of comments like this works with this thing and it does this thing. And these are all connected this way, like the top of a file, but those can get out of date really quickly. That's why I think commenting on lines that are just like you were talking about, Hey, I had to deviate from the rails way. This is why, or however you choose to write it. But those are the ones I find helpful as someone who needs to come back to the code. Right.
1: Yeah. I've come back to some of my comments in the past before. Do you add links? To the comments like to route you to a place or do you maybe write a detailed PR review that maybe he can link back if someone were to do a get blame or something?
0: It really depends. A lot of times in my own code, I will add comments to maybe documentation, especially for configuration files. I'll just stick the link to the configuration documentation at the top of file. So I don't have to think if I need to change something, I don't want to, oh, Rails config. Sometimes I like to do like that, but typically, no, I don't usually link to PRs. Like I try to have really good Git hygiene and I just let the Git log work like that. So I
1: didn't get to ask you what's up.
0: What's up with me? I am fixing bugs today and I'm on a roll, except I encountered some code that I wrote and I don't remember how it works. (laughs) And... This is like clever code, unfortunately. And I'm like, yeah, this is why I try to avoid being clever because when you come back to it, you're like, I was so clever when I wrote this and now I'm not as clever. And I'm like, how do I make this work? I don't remember, but that's what I'm up to fixing bugs. And we just did a big launch podia that I've been working on for a while, a whole new email system. And I've been working on that for a long time and Pretty happy with it. And now it's rolling out to everyone at Podia.
1: Awesome. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. We just did a whole rewrite, basically, of our email system. So we got a whole new email editor that's using TipTap. We ported our own version of TipTap over, basically, to work in Rails, which is an editor like Tricks, but more modern. What so, is
1: TipTap? What is Tricks?
0: Tricks is the rich text library built into Rails. Like you add action text, for instance, it's usually categorized by like a toolbar at the top where you have like the bold commands, and you can shift things left and right, and italicize, and it's like Microsoft Word almost type controls. Not all of them, obviously, but like some of that rich text formatting, not just a text box, more like an editor.
1: I had to work in action text or any of that.
0: I haven't had to do much either. Tricks was like the library that was. It's been around for a while. It's You're probably using it, I would imagine. A lot of people are. Hmm. But it's not modern. I don't know if it's still true, but it it was written in CoffeeScript at one point. I feel like they might have ported it over TypeScript, but I can't remember if that's true or not. But CoffeeScript? Like JavaScript? (laughs) CoffeeScript was before your time and (laughs) before my time. But I came in as it was the thing they're like, okay, we have to get rid of CoffeeScript. CoffeeScript is a flavor of JavaScript that is very Ruby-esque that was popularized by Rails primarily. So if you ever run the generators before the most recent, all the changes in Rails 7, it would generate you like a JavaScript file, basically. Some of the Rails generators generate JavaScript. So before, instead of generating a JavaScript, they would all generate CoffeeScript. And I'm pretty sure it's just what DHH liked. (laughs) For Rubyists, if you take a look at the syntax, you will be like, okay, I can see why a bunch of Ruby developers would like to write JavaScript this way. But we don't use it anymore.
1: So when you say we don't use it anymore, like it's not industry. available? It's, okay. it's
0: fully available. It's just like, oh, it is. don't use CoffeeScript in 2023. Okay. Yeah. Fair. That was in a time where CoffeeScript was making up for deficits in the language. And the language has changed a lot since then. So there's not as much need for what CopyScript provided anymore. And now because of all the modern tool chains and stuff, like there's no reason to use CopyScript at all because it won't work with any of that.
1: Okay. Well, today Honestly. I learned, but then also I don't need to get into
0: it. So Nope. Don't even worry it. about it. I would not anticipate that you probably ever see any CopyScript. Okay. So unless you work on an old Rails tutorials might have it, but I haven't seen in years. It was worked on a little bit, but I did not like it
1: why didn't
0: you like it? I didn't like JavaScript in general. And because (laughs) I was new, I think this is what's important. Because I was new, I was just trying to learn JavaScript. But now I had to learn CoffeeScript on top of JavaScript, which made it even more confusing. Especially back then, every time you look up something, it would show you jQuery. And then if you weren't using jQuery, you'd have to transform it into whatever you were using. And then on top of that, You have to take it from jQuery, figure out how it actually works in JavaScript so that you can actually learn JavaScript, but then you have to learn how to do it in CoffeeScript. (laughs) It was just a lot for someone who is new. It's the same idea to Hamill, where you probably learn HTML as a part of learning to be a developer, but then you come into a system where now everything is written in a dialect. So not only are you having to learn Rails and you're having to figure out how everything works in Rails... But now the template language that you're using isn't one you're familiar with. And you have to learn that too. Right. And you already know HTML. So that's just an extra overhead that we've moved on from a little bit.
1: Well, I think that was a good decision then.
0: Yeah, maybe. I still like (laughs) (laughs) HAML. I see why a lot of people dislike it. I still like it, but I tend to write things in HTML these days or just ERB. Say that, E.
1: Hi there, Julie here. I would like to take a moment to thank GoRails for sponsoring this episode. When I was first starting out, I struggled with finding up-to-date content to help me level up. Then I learned about GoRails. Not only does GoRails provide new screencasts weekly, they also have two fantastic instructors that break down complex topics into digestible chunks. On top of that, I really appreciate when they explain the whys behind the subject. One of my favorite walkthroughs is creating your first Ruby gem from scratch. What a great way to learn by stripping down to just the basics. If you care about leveling up as a Ruby engineer, you can't go wrong with GoRails. Check it out at GoRails.com.
0: You had an idea. We're going to talk about API requests, I think.
1: I started a project. So this is a Rails API that I'm trying to build. And I'm trying to understand best practices for certain things. An example is, let's say I'm creating an object and... I want to provide a response for that. Is it supposed to be like status okay or status created? And then like, likewise, if I create something, but something went wrong along the way, what kind of a status should I return it? Should it be bad request? Or there was another one. I can't remember what it was called. Something like unable to process or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know you're talking I have about.
1: have <laughs> to pull it up. What I find that's really cool is I don't have to remember what the status codes are, like what OK equals 200 or bad request equals 400. I don't have to remember that and Rails just does it for you. And then I looked up the chart where, what do you call it? The key.
0: Yeah, Uh, the key to the symbol. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It might be different than what you're talking about, but it's the symbol and then the actual HTTP code.
1: Yeah, just notice the one that we've been both looking at is not a a secure connection.
0: No, it's an old website.
1: But it's got all of the codes. So the one that I couldn't figure out if I needed to use was unprocessable entity.
0: Mm -hmm. So I will say I have something to say about the best practices, but I think for your purposes, I think what's nice about these symbols no content or continue or like, okay, is that it's easy for you to remember in Rails and it's a Rubyist thing like, oh, I could just type status okay and then we're good, right? And Rails does some of that implicitly for you. But the thing that you can easily forget is that they map to an HTTP status code. So if you want to know whether you're using the right symbol or not, like unprocessable entity, all you have to do is read the status code that it's associated with. And if that's not right, like I just clicked on... But actually, I'll click on unprocessable. Which one is that? Four two two. Four two two two. So if I no, look 4-2-2. at the a- if I look at that one, the request was well formed, but was unable to be followed due to semantic errors. So that means that the request format is correct. It wasn't a bad request. It was that whatever happened when trying to process the request went wrong. So you would send that back if like your code erred. So if you try to submit a form and the f- it has validation errors. That's an unprocessable entity because the form is correct. The request is correct, but you couldn't process the content inside of it.
1: Oh, for example, like if I had a title that needed at least five characters and I was given a title that had three characters, then that is still a good request, but bad because it didn't meet the validations and therefore it should be
0: a unprocessable entity. So you couldn't process it in the app. So like one example of a bad request would be for your API example is if someone doesn't send it, I think there's a different status code for not authorized versus like requests is just bad. So if someone didn't send in the correct format, that's a bad request versus if someone didn't send in the right authorization header, that's an unauthorized request error, which maps to a specific HTTP request.
1: So, See which if someone were to use Postman and not a form, and they tried to give me, I don't know, title X instead of title, would that be a bad request?
0: That would be a bad request.
1: But I feel like there's so many things that can go wrong. How do well, so I? Rails handles
0: a lot of it for you.
1: Okay. So, that's when you were saying Rails does it implicitly.
0: So if you don't send a correct request to Rails, Rails should automatically... I think that's one of the things that will automatically stop it, right? I don't even think it'll get to the controller, like to your controller. I think Rails will catch it in between. Now, the authorization thing is something you'd have to catch, but that's something you almost want to catch at like a base controller level. Assuming that you want everything authorized, you'd have that up. And then that would be like a 401 request. So the things in your controller... Those are typically going to be the unprocessable entity, which is I think why Rails, when you scaffold the controllers, I think it puts that one by default.
1: I didn't know it did that.
0: I'm pretty sure it does because I think I that's like the, the most commonly used. That's another one when you're looking at what's the best practice. If you're thinking about what's the Rails way, that's where I would try to look for. It. I use the scaffolds a lot. A fun fact: if you run Rails g whatever, if you run Rails d in the same command, it will. Remove everything you just scaffolded.
1: Oh, cool. An undo button <laughs> for yeah. generators. So, okay.
0: Yeah. So I will sometimes I'll generate a controller and then I'll just destroy it. I'll just run the opposite with the D to just see what it was going to put.
1: Rails D, like capital D.
0: No, it's just, Lower so it's like Rails D? G, Rails generate, Rails generate, Rails. Oh, okay.
1: G, Rails okay. D. Okay.
0: Nice. Yep. So when you're thinking about what's the best practice, just read the status code, see if it maps. Because at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to figure out. Not necessarily what the symbol name is, but What's like the actual code that when I'm like, like you're talking about for Postman, if I'm using this and if my title is not right, I don't want to get back an issue that the request is back. And I'm going to be like, what's wrong with my JSON? You want it on Postman? That knows, okay, there's something else wrong here.
1: I also don't want to assume that our listeners know what Postman is. Can you explain what that is?
0: Postman, basically an interface for curl. That's the way I see it. And it's just a way to send requests to whatever you want. So if you want to send get requests, post requests, put requests, patch requests, it just provides an interface for being able to do that. And to be able to like save your requests and write tests for it and easily put in parameters and like secrets and stuff like that. So it just helps you hit an API endpoints. But you can do all of that with curl on the command line. So that's why was, it's like an interface for curl. There's one that's a VS Code extension now that I can't remember the name of. If I do, I'll put in the show notes, but... You can do this now in VS Code too. Didn't I think care thunder, about that thunder. I think that's what I'm thinking about.
1: I think I didn't install it or I didn't try it out just because I didn't want to have to go through a learning curve and learn something new. I, I never bothered trying to do it in the command line using curl. That seems like a maybe good way for me to learn how things work under the hood better.
0: You only need to know the basics of curl, and once you know the basics of curl, then you don't need to launch Postman to do it.
1: So do you use Postman?
0: No, I used to. Um, okay. I have a different one. It used to be called Paw. Now it's called like Rapid API or something. There's a company called Rapid that does like API stuff. And I think they bought it. One thing I like about that is you can export the request. So I, I can build up a request like with a bunch of headers, maybe, and parameters, and I can export it as a Ruby function. So I use it occasionally. But these days I've been using curl a lot more. Is it faster? The things that I need it for, I like to use JQ, which is a JSON command line processing tool. So what I will do is basically curl a JSON file. Because like, when I want curl, I'm typically using it to send or receive JSON. And I know how to send or receive JSON from curl like very quickly. I don't need to look up that command. So then I will pipe it into JQ and then automatically extract like JQ just JSON processing. I'll link to it in the show notes. not it doesn't need to be explained necessarily. Some of those tools that like you either need or you don't.
1: Okay. I mean I'm imagining you passing in this maybe could be big JSON objects yeah. into your command line then. So I, using w- the Yeah. Okay.
0: Yep. So here's an example. I wanted to get a list of all the Rails releases. And there's a GitHub API endpoint for being able to do that. And you can use like the new GitHub CLI to like better access the GitHub API now. But let's just assume you wanted to use like their basic REST API endpoint. So I would just put curl and then the flags I need and whatever authorization I need. And then I would just put the URL and then I would pipe it into JQ and then take out the specific... Like if I only needed the dates. So if I wanted all the dates from all the Rails releases just in a list, I could just use curl and jq to do that straight from the command line in like a few minutes. Nice. Yeah, it's fun. It can be a little tricky to build the right jq line, but if you use chat GBT with it, mm-hmm. that it can be golden. So like, I'll paste in like a JSON example file and I'll be like, write a jq expression to return this set of data. And then you can use cool. that in combination with curl to build like cool things on the command line.
1: Speaking of chat GPT I also use it as a kind of like a rubber duck to find out okay well I was trying to figure out which status code or symbol to use and it kept telling me unprocessable entity but I've never heard that before so I was like really and so I would go on and read more about it and try to figure that out but it's nice because it helps me know what I don't know it helps me exposes me to things that I don't know and then I can look that
0: up yeah The one thing with best practices is sometimes there's an answer for this, whether or not to use unprocessed, money. there is a definitive answer. And so anytime you can find that, that's nice. But one thing I, my old mentor used to say was a pattern is like a hammer. And once you receive a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so a lot of the times, like you pick up like a coding pattern and then you just start hitting everything with it. So maybe we can talk about some coding patterns in like on the future episode because that would be fun because I've been doing a little bit more reading on that. But when you were talking about, we were talking about like best practices earlier, that's something I've been thinking about recently. And it's hard to know what the right thing to do is. And I think, especially for early career developers, don't focus on the right way, focus on a way. Because once you know how to solve a problem, you can learn different ways to solve it. But figuring out, just make it work first.
1: Sounds like you're saying that the best practices may come with experience because you'll experience all the different, I don't know, nuances of different ways that you're doing something. And then you decide, okay, yeah, this works better this way in this particular scenario.
0: Yeah. And I did it myself. I've seen some people get bogged down on like, what's the right way to do this when at that point in their career, they should be worried on instead of like focusing on like reading code from the best Rails apps or finding the best Rails patterns and this and that, just build stuff. And once you encounter new problems, expose you to new solutions. Just reading code can't necessarily do the same thing because, like, you might be able to read about STI, for instance. But until you need it, or until you're in a position where you might be able to use it, it's hard to just be able to understand it. So, yeah, there's my, there's my two cents.
1: And STI is something we talked about in the previous On an episode, episode recently. So. <laughs> Oh yeah, maybe it wasn't the previous one. So yeah, check that out if you want to
0: hear more about STI. Cool. Cool. I feel good. That's where we get back in swing of things. There, I feel like there are a lot of things that we didn't talk about that we want to talk about. So I think we just save that for another episode.
1: I agree. In the next two episodes, we will have guests and
0: I look forward to having them on the show. Sweet. Cool. Well, I think we can wrap it up here. Bye, everyone. Oh <laughs> man the beginning of all of us recording these i said bye a certain way and then julie said bye a certain way but i have this bad problem where i pick up on other people's habits so now we don't know how we say bye because i stole the way that she did it and now we don't remember so i'm just gonna say bye bye
1: bye everyone bye bye